just to kind of kick things off, I'd like to just kind of start by hearing the story of how you guys got started, you know, how, how Perception was kind of founded and, and what specifically was the opportunity that you guys saw in the marketplace to, to launch this company. So this is Jeremy. Basically, uh, the two of us met and worked for many years at a company called RGA, also known as R. Greenberg Associates, uh, in the mid to late 90s, doing a lot of commercial work, uh, animation, special effects, and so forth. They changed their uh, business model in late 2000. They went completely dot-com and transformed into a digital agency and basically uh, gave us the option to stay aboard doing websites or take the exit door and, and good luck with our careers. So I took the exit door. I started doing some freelance work. Danny stayed at RGA for a couple more, uh, few more months doing some interactive work, but he was as uh, bored as I was doing freelance work, and uh, I convinced him to start Perception with me. Um, I had this idea that we could accomplish everything that we were doing at RGA uh, for a much more cost-effective model using desktop machines, and uh, basically software had advanced to the point where you didn't need high-end equipment that we were both using at RGA, like Flames and, and Avid's, and instead, with a couple of Mac computers and After Effects and Final Cut, we could do everything we used to do uh, for a fraction of the cost in a much more streamlined way. And um, sure. it wouldn't take much startup capital to get something off the ground. So that, that sort of was the, was, was the impetus. Uh, you know, at the time, it was kind of things were, things were definitely transitioning into this motion graphics world which today is pretty commonplace, but back then, you know, still agencies were used to going into, uh, what, $1,000 an hour suites at, at, at big uh, studios to do flame work and, yeah. and edit suites and so forth. Um, so, you know, we're, we were coming from that world and we were transitioning into a, a desktop world. You guys just kind of jumped into it or did you have, you know, client relationships already developed and, you know, you knew who, who your first customers were going to be or... Pretty much jumped into it. I mean, we signed our lease and painted the walls in a small office uh, studio uh, before 9-11 happened. So, um, you know, after that, everything kind of uh, just shut down, obviously. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, we, we basically just kept uh, moving forward and tried to, uh, we, you know, we had a great reel because a lot of the work we worked on um, at RGA was, you know, top-notch. So we were able to attract clients, but it was up to us to, go to the pitches, win the pitches, and, you know, deliver the work that uh, was second to none. But uh, to, to just piggyback on what Danny just said, yes, the technology uh, allowed us to do that, uh, you know, at low, very low cost. Uh, you know, we, we basically only had to invest in a couple of Macs and, uh, and software, and as Danny said, rent out a small space. We were able to uh, find a, a company that would ba basically rented us an office within their loft to set up shop at, oh, and, wow. uh, okay. and then it was just about uh, cold calling and knocking on a lot of doors, and in those days, everything was still on tape, so we were making um, reels by the dozens and messaging them and FedExing them all around town and all around the country, trying to get people's attention. There were, you know, there was no real web presence yet for us, as today, you know, is so, uh, we take for granted, but back, back then it wasn't like that at all. Okay. 
And, and just for context, so what is kind of uh, both of your individual backgrounds? Did you, did you study design in, in school, or uh, is this kind of self-taught, or how did you guys kind of get into the business in the first place? Go ahead, Danny. You go first. I'll go first since I'm the older one. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually went to St. John's University uh, for business because I thought I was going to take over my father's restaurant. And then, uh, uh, luckily enough, my last year of uh, college, I had to take an extra you know, couple credits to graduate, and I took a visual effects course in Manhattan. Um, and then that kind of uh, got my brain going as far as, you know, in the creative world and loving visual effects. So I told my father to basically uh, take the restaurant and shove it. And uh, I went on to work at RGA. And then from there, I got a position uh, in the, what was it called, digital uh, department. And then uh, started cutting mats, doing work with, uh, you know, on, on commercials, things like that as assistant. And then a couple people left to work at uh, ILM and, you know, uh, other places in, uh, in L.A. And I got bumped up very quickly, and I was a lead flame Inferno artist. So this is Jeremy. My story is a little bit different my career path. Um, I went to college uh, at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. I went originally to study architecture. That's what I thought I wanted to do, uh, even though um, I really should have been in the graphic design program. So after a year of doing that, I changed out of architecture and transferred into the design program, and I was also, uh, I also got a minor in business because I kind of in the back of my head always wanted to and knew I would have to do my own thing, uh, at least try it out because um, I definitely have an entrepreneurial uh, spirit that's been sure. part of my uh, upbringing. So right after uh, college, I decided I wanted to um, pursue design, but I also loved animation. Uh, and film titles, because uh, in college I was exposed to some some of the work of the great film title designers of the past, namely Saul Bass and uh, and the like. So there were only a few companies that actually were doing that type of work. Fortunately, one of them was in New York, where I was born and raised, and it was called RGA. And uh, I got I got really lucky. Uh, as I was looking for uh, work, I was going around to different design studios, and RGA. Well, had just put a, an ad in the New York Times uh, Help Wanted section, uh, Sunday paper. Again, back in uh, the mid-90s, there was no hot jobs or monster.com. People actually looked in the newspaper for jobs. <laughs> and um, yep. I had no idea that they put this ad in. So when I walked in the lobby, because the custom as a designer was you walk around town, you drop off your book, because your portfolio is a printed piece. It's not a DVD sure, or a website. Sure. You know, again, I'm dating myself, but I had a book. And you had to drop it off at these different design studios and then hope that they look at it and the next day you go pick it up and, you know, if there's interest, there's interest. So they had just put an ad in for a designer. So when I walked in the lobby of RGA, the receptionist said to me, are you, did they call you? Did you, did they, uh, like, you know, they asked you to bring it in? I, I didn't know what she was talking about. I said, yeah, they called me. And basically I, I bypassed a, a stack of 8,000 resumes that came in from the New York Times uh, because the creative directors were only calling a small handful of resumes they liked, and I was able wow. to um, get on a short list without even knowing it. Uh, I was at RGA right out of literally a month out of college, <clears throat> and then I didn't. And I spent five and a half years there, and I left in January of 2000, and uh, spent about a year freelancing. 
but I, was, I also started working at a startup uh, agency that was doing some, some dot-com work, again, in the mid-2000s. The That's where the place to be in New York, you know, pre-IPO type of place. Right, right, right. Um, so I was doing a little bit of that, although it was, it, was, uh, it was kind of vaporware, and the place went under very quickly uh, in the tidal wave of, of uh, companies going out of business. And I realized then pretty quickly that uh, I needed to start my own thing. And uh, I was on, in touch with Danny, like, are you ready to leave RGA? Are you ready? This is not working. <laughs> let's uh, do this. Right, right. Yeah, let's do this kind of thing, you know. This Good. Is, I was working at a startup, and, and there was just no work. It was like all proposals, and everybody around me was doing Napster all day. And buddy oh, wow. chats. <laughs> I, I wasn't into it. I really wanted to build stuff and make stuff move. Yep. So um, I started freelancing, and I was doing a little bit of work with ESPN through another um, through another production company. They kept hiring me to do their uh, their promos for ESPN Classic, and uh, it kind of gave me some motivation that uh, you I could kind of set up shop. And I don't need yeah, for anybody. Yeah. You know, there's a market for doing this stuff quick and cheap, and and getting things done. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So when I started researching perception, the first thing I noticed uh, was obviously your resume. I mean, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Iron Man 2, RoboCop. I mean, these are major motion pictures. And then obviously on the B2B side, you know, clients like IBM. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what is your approach to sourcing these big time, you know, client engagements? And you guys can feel free to get as technical as maybe you, you want to get if, if you do have like a methodical way or, um, you know, keep it as light as you want. Uh, but, you know, a lot, of, a lot of companies are trying to go after big, big projects, big, you know, big customers. You guys have obviously been successful at, at doing this. So, you know, um, any feedback you guys could offer in, in that respect would be, would be great. Well, we're both born and bred New Yorkers. Uh, I'm from Queens, Jeremy's from Brooklyn, so there's that no-quit attitude. Um, yep. I nicknamed Jeremy the crowbar because he opens the, up doors that uh, no one on this planet could probably open. And then uh, I call myself the... Uh, the charmer, the, sm- the, the snake charmer. <laughs> I call myself the charmer, and uh, once I get in the door, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of the restaurant background. I take care of the clients the way they've never been taken care of. So between the two of us, um, people just uh, become very uh, hypnotized and mesmerized as to uh, what we can offer and what we actually uh, pull, up, pull off with our team because, you know, they'll, they'll look at the work and they'll say, wow, this, is, this stuff is beautiful. Do you guys have a crew of 100 people? And we're like, no, there's just about 12 to 15 of us. And they just mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of uh, sit there in awe. And whether that's Marvel executives or major directors like Favreau or whether it's... Uh, the head of design at IBM, they, they always seem to be, uh, uh, you know, astonished at, at the work we, we do for them. Um, you know, at the, at the very beginning, uh, as the two of us were starting something from zero, from, from nothing, you know, there was this, uh, this never-quit attitude, there's, we'll, there's always a way, we'll figure it out, uh, and we were able to accomplish things that even mystified us and I think that, that that is in our DNA, and I think it was also fostered a lot at RGA because there was a seriously intense work ethic there that everybody, um, either you had it or you, if you didn't, then you were pretty much uh, shown the door. So, you know, that was part of the, the, um, 
that, that was I was here from birth with perception. So the two of us, sure. uh, you know, ha- have a very common and similar work ethic that you know we will never uh, we will never quit and we'll figure out how to do stuff. So as we evolved uh, from television work and commercial work into movies and then later into technology, you know, a lot of it was 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 new territory, somewhat unfamiliar territory, but we always figured it out, and we always surrounded ourselves with, with the best and the brightest, and, uh, and we're constantly uh, evolving and figuring out new ways of solving uh, challenging problems. Sure, and, and do you guys typically lead forward with your portfolio, kind of like in the old days, or is it really, hey, we're going to knock down doors, get in touch with the right people, develop those yeah, relationships? It's definitely a, a combination of both. You know, right at the, t- right at the start, right as we were putting the first coat of paint on the wall, uh, we brainstormed a, a dream client list, call it the Dream 100, mm-hmm. and we started putting up all the, the brands and clients, whether it was agencies, networks, or just actual brands that we wanted to work for. And I can tell you, uh, 14 years ago, the first name on that list was Marvel. Wow. And, uh, I, you know, pretty much the top ten list uh, followed after that. It was, you know, the ESPNs and the HBOs, and I think Playboy Channel was in there too. Uh, and one by one, we we actually uh, we 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 started crossing them off. Um, Marvel didn't happen overnight. It was, uh, I guess, let me do the math. Uh, probably seven years of, of uh, lobbing grenades and uh, and wow. missiles. <laughs> Their, to their that offices. That is definitely and persistent. When I say missiles, I mean like Hulk Pez dispensers and Hulk surfboards and, uh, and, and vintage comic books from, from our collections, just whatever we could do to get their attention. Uh, but, you know, we finally made it happen. So there's definitely um, a combination of, of tactical um, uh, targets that we mm-hmm. think we can add tremendous value to or brands we're in love with. And then there's, of course, a lot of word of mouth and um, clients who get to work with us, spread the love, and hopefully uh, share us and pass us on to, to their colleagues and their friends at other brands and companies. So it's definitely great. a combination. Great, great. And um, I guess just as a, as a final point, I mean, you know, it, you said it took seven years to, to get Marvel what were some of the, the growing pains that you guys experienced transitioning from maybe smaller client projects to, you know, a big, a big fish like Marvel? Um, you know, was, was there a, was there really like a change in your process to deal with that size of client or, you know, what, it, what, what was that kind of experience like when you, you know, when you started landing the whales? Um, a little bit uh, unnerving, you know. It was a definitely, uh, definitely stressful. Um, I had a full head of hair when we started Perception. Now I'm almost bald. So um, I think uh, one of the things you learn is that you know you, you take certain things on, and and with Marvel you better make damn sure you can deliver because if you don't, you will never work with them again. And There's that's no why three strikes. Yeah, that's why they're very, very um, loyal to us. Is that they know that they could trust us with anything. And any movie and any you know any type of work for them and uh, and we're going to deliver. So um, I think you know again there's always that stressful uh, you know those projects that that are going to make uh, Jeremy and myself sweat and our team sweat. But those are the ones we learn from the most. And I think um, it's what it's what it's like the heart of perception. You know it's the intensity that keeps this place alive. 
And I think yep. once that uh, once that goes, this place, you know, if if it ever it, it will never go because we won't let it. But you know, that's kind of like the death of uh, perception if it ever if it ever did. So um, right. I think you know one of the transitions we had to learn getting you know uh, for example Iron Man two we started with maybe about ten shots in the movie and it it ballooned to over a hundred and thirty something like that one fifty yeah, maybe I, like got, I can't remember it was a while ago but. Uh, um, you know, it's just again surrounding yourself with the right people, making sure you're you're getting everything done on time. And but there's definitely a huge learning curve. You know, the the, the resolution, the you know, and we still learn on uh, on films today. We learned a lot on Age uh, of Ultron. You know, everything's now in stereo, so we have to deliver multiple passes. It's a whole each, each movie we do for them becomes a uh, you know a whole learning experience. So, and we have an incredible core group here. Of, uh, of artists, designers, thinkers, storytellers, but we we ramp up very quickly uh, in size in order to accommodate the bigger fish uh, and the whales, as you said. Mm-hmm. We, so uh, once we say yes to something, then we have to figure out how we're going to accomplish it, and it's usually just finding the right people and building that team to enhance the team we already have. And that's why we have a great production team that's able to uh, to resource accordingly. That's great. That's great. So, so actually, one case study that really stood out to me was the uh, Avengers Age of Ultron project. And the, the reason it stood out to me was, you know, based on the description, it kind of sounded like, you know, the studio didn't really define a you know, specific project scope. It was like kind of left, you know, up to you guys to, to really come up with all the ideas. And my, my question is, you know, design by its nature is something that can kind of always be tweaked and improved. I'm sure you guys have a ton of perfectionists on your staff that, you know, are always like, oh, well, what if we did this? What if we did this? So my, my question is, you know, how are you guys able to find structure in the creative development process? Like, you know, hitting, hitting your project milestones, making sure that, you know, in sort of this, especially with Age of Ultron, you know, this kind of open reign to, to do whatever, whatever you guys want to do. Um, you know, how do you guys kind of approach that? Yeah, I mean, we control. Um, obviously, the production department has a, is, a, is key. You know, they're responsible for making sure we hit milestones in the schedule and deliveries and things like that. But, um, but you know, again, it just goes back to having the right team and knowing where their responsibilities lie. And people are all accountable, and they know that if certain things don't go out at certain times, you know, not not we we all don't. You know, one doesn't go down. We all go down. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the the main core that we have is really really good at uh, at not only the creative but also the time management and you know again the production side keeps keeps the creative side um, in check and yeah on their toes and, and making sure that they're not uh, you know over creating something because Jeremy and I have both fell into that trap we're, we're creatives at heart but you know we're also businessmen so once we see uh, you know a project going into the red, there's going to be a problem. So um, right, I think that's right. another checkpoint as well, is that making sure that we stay in budget, uh, uh, you know, on budget because obviously we need to uh, keep this place open. And if every project was in the red and we let our, you know, creators run this business, we'd be out of business probably uh, 12 times over. So <laughs> Right, right. And do you guys have any sort of actionable advice for companies that struggle to stay disciplined with project milestones? I mean, this is something that I've, you know, 
noticed, yeah, I used to work in management consulting. I mean, people are pretty bad at managing project milestones for whatever reason. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to stay disciplined. Do you guys have sort of, uh, you know, any kind of advice that could lead to, you know, to companies that, you know, would maybe help them? Yeah, I mean, we we have a lot to say on that. I'm not going to give away all our secrets, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we have sort of a little bit of a boot camp that we do with our uh, project managers at Perception. You know, a lot of the things revolve around um, dictating schedules that might be a little bit different uh, than the real schedule uh, mm-hmm. in order to build in buffers for the inevitable creative that's going to go right up until the final second that you tell them you have uh, to have something by. Yep. So, uh, you know, we learned that the hard way. Uh, many, many, you know, and obviously everything we know now is because we, we did it wrong at the beginning. And after right, doing it wrong, right. you start to figure out, well, we got to do something else because, you know, we keep butting up against the same problems. And when you tell somebody you have to send out a, a, a link by 5 o'clock and they're first saving the file at 5.02, and that's a big problem. So you start to back time things and you start to tell them, you know what, I needed it at four. And then actually I needed it at three and I needed it at two. And then you get that three-hour buffer because it's always going to go late. Something's going to go wrong. A system's going to crash. A file's going to get lost. Whatever the hell happens, it's going to fall back on your shoulders. So you've got to make sure that you have safety nets built in all around you uh, and always leave yourself an out. So, you know, we don't encourage people to lie or deceive, but we definitely encourage people to, uh, especially on the production side, to, to make sure that they have an out, make sure that they've controlled their schedule so that if somebody doesn't deliver on time, they're not going to be up against the wall uh, because it just happens too many times and we take the bullet for it. So that's one little secret that we use that I don't think is that you know secretive, but uh, ha- has saved our life on more than one occasion. You know, the same thing applies to clients, too. We like to under-promise and over-deliver. So we might tell a client that, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll have something Friday, but then we send it a little earlier, uh, and then they get more impressed by that. So that always helps, too. Or sometimes we might finish early, and then we'll just hold it in what we call the warming drawer. You know, we'll, we'll keep it for a day or two before it even has to go out just to, uh, just to build up a buffer or, or work ahead to the next milestone before they've even evaluated the first milestone. I think also there's something that we call uh, the perception urgency that keeps, mm. This, mm. keeps this place ticking uh, constantly, whether we're slow or whether we're extremely busy. Um, there's that urgency that our, our, our team and that Jeremy and I have that we share with our creative department and, and production department that it's like, all right, let's get this done now because there's a couple other things cooking, and if they come in, we're never going to be able to get this done, so let's get it done. And then we won't have to worry about stressing out. So there's always that constant, um, you know, it's like, it's like driving, it's like owning a Ferrari but driving at 10 miles an hour. Why would you own a Ferrari if you can't drive it at, you know, 100? <laughs> right. So we, we keep this place at 100 miles an hour so we never have to, you know, ramp down or ramp up for anything. You know, our, our creative juices are constantly flowing. That's great. That'll be a great, uh, great quote in there, actually. Um, Can I change okay, that so to a... Uh, Mustang instead of a Ferrari? <laughs> if you want the Mustang, that's fine. R? No? All right. Uh, yeah, that's fine. So I, I, know, I know we're running low on time here. So there, the final two questions are, are two questions that, I, that I've asked every executive we've interviewed so far. Uh, the first one is, um, what are you guys reading right now? 
and what are some of your all-time book recommendations? Uh, one of the, I think one of the most influential books for me was uh, the E-Myth. The E-Myth. I, we have the E-Myth, like yeah, revisited. Uh, you know, I, I I think I have like three different E-Myths. I don't remember e- what each title was, but <laughs> right, uh, right. We, I think we bought that one on uh, on CD like ten years ago, and we both listened to it, and then uh, I got the. Uh, the really thick volume recently, I guess it's E-Myth Revisited or something like that. Um, and that was eye-opening and life-changing in, in that it you know, told us that we have to start working on the business, not in the business. And from the beginning, when the two of us were doing every single thing at this place, from producing to cleaning the toilets, we realized in order to grow and move forward, we're going to have to find uh, people to actually start working here so we could step back. And I think one of the biggest decisions we, we both agreed on was hiring a manager, Again, I'm going back like seven, eight years now when we hired our first manager who could sort of run day-to-day operations and allow Danny and myself to focus more on the direction of the company, new business opportunities, meeting people, connecting with people outside the office, uh, going to a lot more presentations, becoming a little bit more of a face of the company and a voice of the company rather than the guy with the fire extinguisher just putting out fires all day. Yep. So uh, I, I credit that book uh, with, with opening my eyes to that. Uh, but there's been so many along the way that, um, that we keep uh, going back to. Great, great. And uh, the final question is uh, productivity tools. How do you guys manage your daily activities? What technologies are you using right now? As far as like project management? It just you know your 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 day to day stuff. I mean, what what are the tools that you guys use to kind of stay organized, stay on top of you know your your sort of daily routines? I mean, for me, is I just write everything down and make a ton of lists. Uh, you know, I'm on uh, LinkedIn and 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 our email probably you know all day. Those are really the only tools we I think we both use consistently. Uh, a lot of Twitter and social media stuff like that. But uh, for me, I just we we both our offices are wallpapered with gigantic post-it uh, paper, with which is oh, list, right? the list stacks and stacks and stacks of that stuff. Yeah, if you came in here, you'd think it was a mess, but it's, it's a kind <laughs> of like uh, an homage to a beautiful mind. There's uh, connections. It's like an FBI profile uh, room. It's actually uh, yeah, interesting. it's interesting when you when you uh, start to connect the dots. Um, but one of the things that the, the two of us do in, in, in our daily routines is, uh, is actually uh, one of the most important tools is the gym and throwing around uh, some uh, heavy weights because if you don't get yourself in the right state, then the rest of the day is a waste of time. Wow. So we use that to That's get great. ourselves in the right state at about 5.30 in the morning. I'm going to go earlier. Well, you go at 4.30. I'm, I'm old, so i got to eat. I mean, i got to sleep and then eat. <laughs> um, yeah, I get up at 3.30 every day, and I'm in the gym at 4. Wow, wow. So if you That's, get up before uh, all the birds, then you're beating up, you know, you're beating out uh, pretty much everybody in the, in the rest of the world as well. So, um, you know, your competition to sleep while you're up already thinking about what you're going to do. That's yeah, great. you set yourself up for success for the rest of the day, and even if you do, if you get nothing else done, you feel like you've accomplished something important. So mm-hmm. it just automatically puts you in the right state of mind, and you're ready to just take it all on. So I've been Great. doing that for pretty much since the very beginning of perception, even in college, and it kind of has stayed with me. And I don't really even think about it. I'm just kind of on autopilot. I just get up at 3.30 and I go. Again, that goes in line with the, the, the urgency of perception. You know, there's that state that, uh, that we come into work with, and then it, you know, it, it trickles down to the rest of the team. 
Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it loops loops back into what you guys were talking about, just everything with your culture. I mean, you know, kind of living it from the start of the day through, you know, carrying into the workday and everything. So, um, well, guys, this was this was really great. I really appreciate the uh, the time.